Tom. Yes. Are you cool? Eh, uh, no. <laughs> I Don't do yourself down, buddy. I think you're cool. Well, thank you. I'll take that compliment. Yeah, I think if you if you call yourself cool, then you're not cool. Ooh, what a what a conundrum! It's like a reverse psychology thing. So the New York Times. Um, oh wait, but uh, first, uh, welcome to Beneath the Skin show about the history no, of everything. To, I was getting to that. Okay, this, okay, go on, go we'll, on. We'll, we'll get to that. Right. So, yeah, you you don't think you don't think you're cool. I think no. you're pretty cool. Thank you. I think you're pretty cool. Thanks, man. I'm 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 definitely not, but I'll you're take definitely it. the coolest person in their forties that I know. Oh, okay. I'll take that. Um, because it, like, so in May, the reason I ask, obviously, mm-hmm. the reason in, 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 I ask is because in in May um, of this year, mm-hmm. so very recently. I mean, it may no longer be true. If it was true six months ago, it may long, <laughs> no longer be true. Such is the nature of cool. Uh, ask the question. This is the headline: Cool tribal tattoo. Is it from the nineties? <laughs> <laughs> and that, my friends, is what we're going to answer today on Beneath the Skin. Yes, you're very welcome to Beneath the Skin. <laughs> you're on the premium feed. You're getting the premium content. Ooh, uh, feel uh, the quality. I am one of your hosts, Thomas O'Mahony, and I am joined by my esteemed co-host, Dr. Matt Lauder. You know the vibes. Um, we are talking about tribal tattooing, and we um, were workshopping some ideas for episodes uh, recently, and I suggest this. You wanted little bit of time to prepare but it's kind of been uh on the back burner because you know everything 90s and 2000s is cool again uh in varying different forms you know kids are wearing bootcut jeans and shoes again you know jeans and shoe is back bootcut jeans back i can yeah. deal with the return of tribal actually more than i can deal with the return of bootcut jeans absolutely get fucked <laughs> what if you combine the tribal with the bootcut jeans then you're real uh, 2000s. Unacceptable. Not in my not in my 2000s, thank you very much. Yeah, so I've, the reason why we... Uh, this is so kind of a very pertinent episode is um, recently I did a poll. Aside from like the visibility of you know 2000 stuff coming back, we've talked about the return of Ed Hardy clothing in terms of cultural clout. This clout game funny to me. Um, guess what? Guess what? There's going to be more Ed Hardy in this episode. Sorry. This is... Yeah. This, is a, this is a very Ed Hardy heavy show because we live in a very Ed Hardy heavy universe. Um, yeah, this is Ed Hardy's world. We're just living in it. But hundred um, fucking percent. Shout so, out to Doug. Hi, Doug. Hi, Doug. Um, so I recently put a poll up on Instagram for an episode we're doing towards the end of the year. Just like what are what have people been doing mainly this year? And almost universally, every artist, regardless of what style they said, was like. I've had to do so much neo-tribal, which we're going to talk about later in the episode about how it differs from, you know, what we can now consider traditional tribal. It feels very yeah, weird but, but, to say but, that. But but the stuff that we're going to be talking about today was called neo-tribal at the time. So this is all just very confusing. Um, I, as a professional historian of roughly the contemporary period, I'd like time to stop, please, so I can, you know. <laughs> History, please stop happening. But yes, we are talking about... Um, tribal in the responses i got like everyone said because i put up a couple of different questions also if you're listening and you don't follow us on instagram bit of housekeeping um check us out on instagram beneath skin pod we are giving away a 400 pound tattoo voucher for darren quinn 
at Leather Lane. Um, check I don't out the think Instagram. he'll do you any tribal. You never know. He might. Um, but, um, yeah, so check out the Instagram. It's pinned posts uh, on how to win that. Uh, winner will be announced on the 1st of December 2023. But, yeah, so almost universally, every artist, regardless of style, said, I've had to do loads of, like, tribal stuff. And in terms of visibility, because, like, you know, I, as Matt said, I'm cool, so I drink in cool places in London, and the visibility... No, no, Tom, you're getting the causal arrow the wrong way around. The places are cool because you drink there. Okay, okay. That's Um, the way the causal arrow flows. But even just, like, seeing tattoos around, like, the amount of tribal I've seen in the past six months is insane. And, like, particularly, like, this new style, um, but also a lot of kind of now, quote-unquote, retro stuff. Like, we're talking stuff influenced by Leo Zulueta, which we're going to talk about. But at this cultural moment, and where we're seeing the resurgence of tribal, I think it's time we sat down and talked about the history of tribal. Because it's a, it's kind of a style that people don't really know its origins from. Yeah, um, I don't know. So th- this New York Times uh, article is a really interesting um, place to start, right? Because are you quoted in it? No, I'm not actually. Um, st- sadly, uh, terrible, terrible. I know. How dare they? Um, so the, the the subhead is uh, the style once dismissed for being culturally appropriative, and meatheady is back. Mm. Um, so. Already there, you've got this kind of sense of, well, the issues of cultural appropriation, which we will talk about, um, mm-hmm. and this idea of meatheady, which is interesting because I think that's something that is an insight into how culture generally, but you know, it applies to tattoos, move from the avant-garde to the mainstream. Um, mm-hmm. I think Tribal is a really good example of that. Um, I've had interesting conversations on that topic with Alex Binney over the years, who we'll also talk about. Um, uh, uh, and also, you know, this is something that um, uh, is also quoted in the New York Times in, uh, interview. So Dave Holmes, an editor at large at Esquire and an MTV host from 1998 to 2002, remembers the tattoos as part of the mid-90s uniform in the Chelsea neighbourhood of Manhattan, along with the Caesar haircut and sleeveless T-shirts. Then Mr. Holmes said, quote, the line between Chelsea gay guy and Jersey Shore guy got super blurry the big muscles and the eyebrow maintenance and the tribal tattoos. But uh, as as we're going to talk about probably in a couple of minutes, I'm going to talk about specifically that person that he described. Yeah. The, where Because that comes from a very, very specific cultural artifact as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, by, the, by the early 2000s, the article goes on, tribal tattoos had become a punchline. What tribe are you from, Chad? The comedian Carlos Mencia joked in a 2004 performance. Oh, God, not Carlos Su- Mencia. Summing Fuck up off. a general attitude about the designs. There was also, um, there was also I saw just on uh, Instagram, it was um, a viral thing on Instagram that had gone, oh, it must have been easy being a tattooer in the 2000s. All you had to do was tribal and Taz's. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> what? So, so there is this general sense, right, that the spiky tribal, quote-unquote tribal, um comes from the 90s uh, in particular. But of course, as always, it has a much older history. And in fact, mm-hmm. you know, obviously what we're talking about today is not tattooing as done by actual tribes. Um, we have done some episodes on indigenous tattoo traditions and we will do them in future. Um, we're not talking about that today. Um, when we say tribal, 
uh, in this context, we are talking about uh, sort of basically postmodern versions by, although not entirely, but but but, but primarily done by um, European and American artists um, on people who aren't from the cultural background. Uh, of a culture that has a a tattoo tradition yeah Um, if if you're not familiar which uh, for anyone listening i'm kind of i I would be shocked if i would be shocked if you matt has a giant fucking pot of coffee that he's pouring himself um if you don't think of like the slipknot logo like that sort of like angular kind of spikiness yeah at least one version of it is that so um of course, there are versions. So, th- the earliest versions of that, if you like, um, are perhaps the versions of European. And we talked a bit about this on our episode last week um, when we talked about tattoo about the, about Pitcan um, mm-hmm. and the mutiny on the bounty. We might see the real progenitors of this in white men, white European men, quote unquote, going native. Um, either getting tattooed in places like Tahiti, New Zealand, or kind of claiming that they did. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, People like uh, Cabri or Joseph, uh, John Rutherford, um, various basically European sailors often who who got tattooed uh, whilst they were in these these then far-flung places. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, as we've said at length, the, the impact that those design styles and traditions had on European tattooing was basically nothing. Um, we don't see a lot of black or really any kind of black tribalesque black work stuff um, to any grand degree until the middle of the 20th century, uh, basically. And it's also, um, I think, geographically, I think the cultural connotations of tribal, when you think about it, like, people like it's not really related to the pacific at all which most people think of when they think of like those sort of stories that you're just talking about like that isn't really the origins of what we think of as tribal it's it's what we're it's what we're going to talk about now yeah um so really what so what uh, really what we're talking about is like yeah mid-century european stuff um the perhaps like exception to that and certainly an an inspiration to um a lot of the people that would follow is the tattoos that the great omi um mm-hmm. had tattooed on himself by um George Bircher by George Bircher in the 1920s and 30s so George so, Bircher is the first tri- tribal artist then well basically yes right um he claims um or omi claimed at least that it was it was um his own design. And of course what Omi was doing was trying to, um, trying to ape these styles, right? Trying to, trying to actually reproduce that earlier generation of sideshow performer, variety hall performer, public mm-hmm. speaker who claimed to have been tattooed by savages in the jungles. Right. Um, and even though he was tattooed by a guy in a white coat in London, um, uh, he he was actually tattooed. Uh, he claimed to have been tattooed in you know by pygmies in the jungles of Borneo or something, right? And he had this incredible, um, uh, incredible kind of bodysuit. I guess we call it today, including his whole face in these very 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 heavy black, um, 
you know, like stripes. I mean, I I, I wonder if, what you think it would have been like for um, for the great Omi to walk, be walking around London in the nineteen thirties, looking like he did. Yeah, like definitely would have been a sight to see, and um, particularly like the visibility of tattoos of any tattoos not being as common as they even I think even now like he would still be quite shocking because obviously like being very heavily tattooed on your face is still quite shocking to a lot of people yeah I mean I'm I'm just sort of constantly amazed surprised delighted horrified um about you know about people walking around with huge heavy face tattooing and if you think about that um, you know, Omi was doing it in the 1930s, and a lot of a lot of the people we'll move on to next, as we talk about um, an inspiration, um, are actually paying attention to Omi because photos of him. He was he was very famous um, right the way through till the late 1940s. He was um, you know performed in circuses all across America. He performed in variety halls in, 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 in France and was just, yeah, just very, very visible. Photos of him were published in magazines and circulated in the tattoo community. So Omi is this real kind of like touch point. Um, there are, uh, then essentially we're moving into kind of the 50s and 60s and we're thinking about California as always. Mm-hmm. Um, a large proportion of this and a key figure as we touched upon a bit and when we mentioned this in our last episode is the work of Fakim Mushafar mm-hmm. um, the modern primitives movement yeah um, so Mushafar um, as you'll hear um, when Tom edits and puts out Tom, uh, Paul's talk on this um, I'm doing it today I'm doing, doing it, today. it today well it'll be a good companion piece for this um, he grew up um, in in uh, in this one of the Dakotas, South Dakota, I think I'm right in saying, and found himself as a young boy drawn particularly to kind of National Geographic magazines, mm-hmm. right? To these magazines, which had a very kind of colonial, late colonial, um, like tone to them, where, where where European photographers, anthropologists uh, would go out into the into the sort of far-flung corners of the world and take photographs of quote-unquote tribal people, people who live in traditional and indigenous ways, and that it often included tattooing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Ronan Loomis, as he was known at the time, he was born in 1930, so he's a sort of teenager during World War II, and he's buying these books and, and, and buying these magazines and seeing all of these um, practices, and he ends up essentially wanting to copy them. Um, and, and I'm sort of we can't. We could spend a, a whole episode on on him, and perhaps we'll do. Uh, but as I said, Paul covers his life story in mm-hmm. a lot of detail. But essentially, to cut a long story short, over the course of the nineteen thirties, uh, sorry, over the course of the nineteen forties and fifties uh, into the sixties, he begins to develop initially, basically on his own in the sort of pr- privacy of his own garage. These practices, um, all these these series practices, which combine. Um, everything from tattooing to piercing to body suspension to um, what are called sun dances, some sort of versions of uh, uh, things taken from Native American rituals, um, and combines them initially uh, as he sort of reveals himself to the world as this character performer, 
Fakir Mushafar in the early 70s as as what he calls modern primitivism. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um there had been, you know, there there'd been uh, other tattoo artists and other other tattoo collectors also inspired by those same things before him. Perhaps the most interesting of them, again, someone we're going to talk about on the show at a separate moment in time, is um, this German guy called Albert um, Albrecht Becker, mm-hmm. uh, who had been who tattooed himself like extensively um, as a gay man in Berlin and had some uh, you know, black work Borneo rose designs mm-hmm. um, on his on his collarbones and eventually ended up basically tattooing his entire body black. Like he t- tattooing was part of his kind of sexual practice as a mm-hmm. sexual, sexually submissive gay man. And, and he, it's, it's something as well that I'll come back to later in the episode when we're talking about the revival of this style as well. Yeah. And Be- Beck is like absolutely amazing. He was, um, he was like imprisoned by the Nazis and, you know, um, became this like absolute kind of inspiration to 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 Berlin gay scenes to the to the tattoo world etc when when his work was um, revealed he's an incredible artist as well very interesting photographer but loads of his tattooing begins as direct appropriation of things that he's seen in in magazines um of of black work and then and then becomes much more extensive as time goes on but we really but 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 yeah Mushafar is, I think, our kind of first key figure here, basically because it's around him that a lot of the this stuff is made visible to the world. Um, it, eventually, through this book, Modern Primitives, which came out in 1989, although um, uh, although in earlier versions as well, um, and it's also through which a lot of the rhetoric around this became quite ossified in the public imagination. I've written about this. Um, a long time ago, um, I mentioned again on our Samuel Stewart episode um, that Sammy wrote about this in the early 90s, like very early 90s, just after the book came out, that he found <laughs> the kind of representation of, of 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 all of these variety of different practices under the banner of primitive was quite problematic for all kinds of reasons. But, you know, different times. Um, Mushafar didn't tattoo himself. He has this huge back piece done by a, um, a, an artist called Dave Slack. And yeah, I think like it is the coming together of this kind of late hippie, post hippie California version of cultural, you know, um, kind of new age stuff, I guess we might call it now, with this kind of personal fascination of Mushafar's with um, anthropological photography, mm-hmm. um, which which starts to kind of yeah bring together certainly for the republic audience this idea of, of of black work and certainly the publication of modern primitives which came out in 1989 became an enormous enormous influence all around the world for a whole generation of people the mm. book is super interesting again we haven't got time to go into it in detail but there's loads of figures in there um many of whom are, aren't really describable as modern primitives at all ed hardy features for example uh, in the book, um, uh, Lyle Tuttle features in the book. Um, various other people who aren't, part, you know, part of this. Obviously, mm. part of this heading of one primitives are in the book. Most of the writing about the book actually focuses on on Mushafar himself and doesn't really pay attention to the complexity and the interesting kind of diversity that's within. Mm-hmm. The book. And I think as well at this time, 
when you're talking about moving out of the kind of post-hippie era of like the late 60s, early 70s, I would argue, you know, the hippie era ended in 1975 with the withdrawal from Saigon. But yeah. um, you have this growing fascination, and I call this, you know, um, like a, a postmodern fascination with the primitive that like we culturally have conquered the world. Everything has been discovered. And it's this weird Western cultural chauvinism obsession with the primitive as this kind of more authentic way of living. And you see that through, you know, the growth and popularity, partially responsible for the growth of popularity of stuff like National Geographic, that is exposing day-to-day people to these far reaches of the world where people are kind of kind of living out of step with time yeah and in fact you know there's lots of sociology and anthropology on that exact question that, that, that after times of conflict there is a kind of often an upswing of um uh, you know beliefs in in magic and spiritualism like we're even seeing it now post covid and post pandemic with 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 rise of interest in the occult and witches and astrology and there is a kind of you know, sort of nostalgic yearning for a simpler time, which 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 pre-modern societies get to kind of stand in problematically as as avatars for. I mean, um, the modern primitive book came out in 1989, um, chronicling. I it has been called a movement. The modern primitives. I've argued that I don't think there really was a movement of modern primitives. I think there was a few people that fucking Mushafar knew. Um, who self-identified as modern primitives, but then there were a lot of people who found the stuff interesting and copied it and and, and remixed it uh, in the following decades, but who wouldn't really be either described themselves or be described as modern primitives. And there's lots of people in the book, as I said, who don't fit into that gap. So, um, but on that note, I mean, before, so that's came out in 1989 and Mushafar had been doing it, this stuff um, privately, privately, through the 40s and 50s and 60s and, and revealed himself to the world as Fakir Mushafar in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, but earlier than that, you know, there were, again, tattooers who were starting to draw upon these styles, the most interesting of which is someone who we've also talked about a lot, Cliff Raven, mm-hmm. um, old Chuck Ingram, taught by Sammy Stewart. Um, Cliff, as he says uh, in, in an article that he wrote, um, back in 1981, um, something that I think probably resonates with what you're saying. With Western civilization crumbling down around our ears, what could be so bad about putting on a little war paint? <laughs> right? And it's like it's also this idea, this is, this is Tom's cult, uh, sociocultural corner, is that like this idea that civilization as we think of it doesn't really exist, that it is something that is constantly in decay and never in growth it's like the there is always like you know civilization as we know it is will never provide enough like kind of substantive reason for existence so you have to like grasp at other things so it's like oh well like these people in you know the jungles of borneo they have it figured out yeah yeah it's a very i mean Again, there's a lot of kind of sociology on, on, on this exact problem. And it, 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 this is what, again, we talked about in our response uh, uh, comments to, to, to 
the, the Pinky Young episode, like this also is basically Orientalism and racism, it, it, mm-hmm. even in a pre, you know, it, it, of, of a kind at least. And it's very complicated. I'm not, you know, again, not saying people with black work tattooing tattoos are racist. This gets much more complicated than that. But this sociological current that we're talking about of mythologizing and fantasizing about pre modern societies um, is often not in unavoidably but is often tinged with a kind of as you said a western cultural chauvinism and it's um, also kind of like trying to appro- um trying to apply a kind of postscript meaning to something in order to make it like meaningful and these are just you know like cultural practices that have evolved over time naturally within a culture and we're like oh well you know it, it's like this design is like oh you know the sun god all this sort of stuff yeah. and it's like in reality you can just admit you think the design is cool well that's i think that's a good again transition to the point the next point i wanted to make actually which is that um i think there's a difference an important difference between and actually, Mushifar wasn't even doing this really um, to to really be steel man him. But there are people, um, even today, who and certainly you know are kind of basically tr- reproducing that kind of nineteenth century version that I was talking about. Who 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 find a kind of authenticity, a problematic um, uh, authenticity in inverted commas in this kind these kind of practices right um that you go somewhere and you get an authentic tattoo as a as a visitor and that's somehow more spiritual and more meaning more spirit i mean all of this is in quote marks right i don't think any of these categories are actually possible but compared to a, a kind of aesthetic and technological appreciation of of of, of how this works and i think mushifar uh, again is not ex- i mean in in the kind of remixing and 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 recreation and and, and mixing together of lots of these different practice one over the world is doing a bit of that but pr- prior to modern pr- modern primitives coming out in 1989 mm. um uh, almost a decade earlier um ed hardy published what is probably the first tattoo history magazine are oh, you bastard you're shot like uh, if you listen to the last episode, you understand how jealous I am. This Matt's is holding this is not. This time. is a second. This is a second edition from night. Also from nineteen eighty nine. Um. Uh. Yeah. yeah this is the nineteen eighty eight printing. The second edition. Um, Doug, which came if you're out. listening and can hook me up with some copies of Tattoo <laughs> Time, I will pay. <laughs> um. But so, but this this initially came out in nineteen eighty two. Um. And. Yeah, like the first, this first edition of of of, of the book um, is yeah is is something that um, that sets up all of the people probably that would become part of that modern primitives conversation a decade later, and and Hardy uh, and that quote that I shared with you with from Raven is in is in Tattoo Time. The the, the title of this first ever episode is New Tribalism, right, and. Hardy's interesting on this as he is on everything because he's aware of the complexity of this move um and Raven is as well basically um what Hardy and uh Raven and um some other people who will come to in a second in this book realize is that there's something kind of graphically connective interestingly connective about heavy black tattooing so Ed says in the introduction to the first ever uh, issue of Tattoo Time, 
Tattoo tradition has evolved in the West over the past hundred years, leads heavily on quote-unquote exotic subjects adapted from other cultures. Um, dramatic, uh, he talks about Japanese tattooers. He says um, the majority, oh, uh, these dramatic black and grey energy channels that lend native Japanese tattooing its unique visual impact may be misunderstood, bastardized, or awkwardly interpreted by a majority of tattooers in the West, but the gravitation to a dynamic black tattooing with abstract elements is present. The appeal of abstract or primary elements is at work in the mid-20th century's most popular design, the Black Panther, first adapted to tattooing by Milwaukee artist Armand Dietzel from a 1934 children's book on mythology. The crawling form of the cat has an ideal design to fit uh, arm, leg, or other body musculature, um, and he then points out right that so so there's something graphic about this, and Hardy is as much in, and as much interested in the graphic potential as this as he is with some pseudo mystical appropriative mm. or claim for authenticity. There are bits of that that come up in the first issue of of of, 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 um, of Tattoo Time, but a lot of the discussion is about the aesthetic possibilities of yeah what he uh calls new tribalism right mm -hmm. what um he, he calls in a letter to lao hardy new the new old style right this mm -hmm. this this re remixing of heavy black traditions to graphic ends um this is something that you know had been going on in California for a, a while by this point um Cliff Raven had been tattooing this stuff since the 60s um Tom DeVita uh who has a huge like really interesting set of like or had a, had a huge set of sleeves at work uh, by different artists working in black styles he was a big important figure um Hardy says DeVita has promoted the black look with a highly unique fusion of world culture uh, images in his flash for the past 15 years so since the mid 50s he also then goes on to cite um uh, a guy in New Zealand called Roger Ingerton, mm -hmm. who I'll come back to in a minute. Um, Michael Malone, so Rollo, uh, at Candy Everett um, as well. So there's this right. So 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 we have, I think, a lot of the really interesting, a lot of the really problematic stuff. You have them clashing right in this comparison between these two books. You have um, modern primitives, which aims clumsily from an outside perspective to mash these things together to make a coherent quote unquote movement. And then you have tattoo time, which is interested primarily in um, the graphic uh, approach to this, although does include uh, an essay by um, a really, uh, two really interesting um, writers who both go and get tattooed in Samoa. One is called Leo uh, uh, Berriton, um, who was, um, who worked for Lyle Tuttle for a long time. Um, who did a lot of kind of you know, tattoo um, anthropology back in the 70s and 80s. And then another guy called Dan Tomei, um, similarly, a merchant sailor and gypsy tattooist um, currently on Tattoo Odyssey of the Indo-Pacific. So there is, that, there is that mix of the of the ideological and the visual in mm, that first but, issue. But, 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 but the comparison between Tattoo Time issue one and Modern Primitives, I think is really instructive of how we get where we are today. And obviously, like Hardy being much more concerned with the aesthetic of it, as we're moving away from the 80s and, you know, the publication of Modern Primitives, how do we get to what we visually consider tribal now? Obviously, we're, t we're probably talking Leo Zulueta. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, Leo Zulueta is the other name in that list that I didn't mention, right? So uh, Hardy says, San Francisco tattooer Leo Zulueta is the first New World artist to base his entire style on tribal pattern symbols and black work. Um, there's an essay by Zulueta in, in um, Tattoo Time about the swastika and its meaning and its history. But he also features, Leo Zulueta also features um, in uh, Modern Primitives, who did who did Leo, Leo, Leo Zulueta's sick black black work tattoos? Ed Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ed Hardy's world. We're just living in it. Exactly. So um, Zulueta, as Hardy says, you know, other other artists had had been inspired by uh, either directly or, or 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 implicitly by heavy black, cool looking stuff for a while, mm. but. It's it's Zulueta, um particularly, although I think as I said this this um, New Zealand based white Pakeha artist um, Roger Ingerton is also part of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, he he became very um, important in the links between Maori tattooing uh, and its revival in New Zealand with the global tattoo scene through uh, his connections with the, this scene. But but Zulueta, yeah, is is if you want to think about where the what we think of as the tribal armband and stuff comes from, it's uh, Leo Zulueta. So Zulueta, um, yeah. So okay. So Zulueta was born um, actually in Maryland uh, in 1952, but he grew up in Hawaii, um, in Oahu, uh, and in San Diego. Um, so he has this kind of cross-cultural connective tissue, anyway, right? Like mm-hmm. he was born um, to a Pacific family, but in the United States. Um, he goes to art college in San Diego State, um, studies art, and becomes really interested in the, the traditions, particularly in Borneo. Mm-hmm. Um, he began traveling. He was also, you know, again, kind of interested in in these in this kind of you know California m- moment of the sixties. He, he sort of has these um, almost pilgrimages, I suppose, to, to places like Samoa and Tahiti. He, he meets Ed Hardy in seventy one. Um, and becomes a professional tattooer in, in 81. And um, it's really interesting, but again, you know, for all of his engagement with these traditional cultures, Zilueta says in his first um, sentence in the interview in Modern Primitives, several people influenced me. Ed Hardy was the biggest, biggest inspiration. He encouraged me to trouble to study tribal designs from Polynesia, Borneo, etc. long before I even started tattooing. When I grew up in Hawaii, I had a lot of Filipino relatives with tattoos and always admired them. The ancient Hawaiians didn't emphasize tattooing as much as the Marquesans or Samoans, but nonetheless, they did have a strong tradi- tattooing tradition. Um, so he has this fine art background, um, He's interested in uh, Native American art, for example. He likes jewelry and furniture making. Um, but he realizes that, yeah, this black work stuff is, is for him. He's tattooed um, by Mike Malone in Hawaii. Uh, again, all these weird connections, even with like Sailor Jerry, you know. Um, and then, yeah, meets Ed Hardy and realizes like this is it. And again, what does he say? I used to hang out at Realistic Tattoo, looking at Ed's photo albums of tattoos. I spent a lot of time hounding used bookstores and collecting old magazines like National Geographic. Um, Ed kept encouraging me, this is great. There aren't many people doing this or getting tattoos like this. You should further your studies. 
After a year or two, I told Ed I wanted to get a big tribal-style flame on my arm. He said, you draw it, bring it to me, I'll put it on. That was 1978. Then I got the matching piece on my left arm in 81. Mm-hmm. Um, he created this, um, you know, style in this melting pot, in this melting pot of graphic art, punk, um, uh, multicultural, uh, Pacific, you know, um, naval base uh, mm-hmm. culture slash, slash San Francisco arts, uh, San Diego art schools. Um, he also, of course, through that meets uh, Cliff Raven. He meets Bob Roberts. He meets uh, this guy, Leo Bereton, who was working for Lyle. He works for Dan. He, he meets Dan Tomei as well. Um, uh, so all of this, it, it comes through Leo to create this amazing kind of set of remixes of black work. And what happens is Leo basically sells Flash. There are design sheets in Modern Primitives, um, many of which are actually drawn by Hanky Panky in um, in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. So he also has a big kind of role to play here by for, for translating these designs into European vernaculars. Mm-hmm. But Leo publishes this this basic design book of classic designs, and that becomes really the kind of blueprint for tattoos all over the world to either copy it or to mm-hmm. adapt it for their own styles, and we're off to the races. And what yeah. happens is this creates an appetite um, for 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 a, a, a new style of quote-unquote tribal work that isn't so connected or as connected with this idea of of culturally appropriative work. In fact, because these styles, it, you know, some Leo's work initially is coming directly from places like Borneo, but mm-hmm. they become adapted. These aren't quote-unquote traditional tribal tattoos. They're something new which come out of this mm. cultural fusion and are are inflected ideologically but have all this incredible kind of artistic possibility. As that circulated around the world, and Leo, um, in that New York Times article, actually, that I mentioned, he's interviewed there, and he says, yeah, a lot of people made a lot of money from that, <laughs> from that book that I made. <laughs> um, and he says there are a lot of people trying to do it and screwing it up. Yeah, and like right? this is... And you mentioned Hanky Panky, and... I think in terms of like the cultural significance of tribal in the nineties, one, you know, Hank, uh, Hank is the designer for blood sugar, sex magics cover art. And that, I think that is a big exposure to a lot of people of like what tribal would be. Zioleta Zioleta himself tattooed Dennis Rodman. He tattooed Tommy Mm -hmm. Lee. Um, There were, as you pointed out, like tribal tattoos in from dusk till dawn. That's um, the origins of the Caesar cut and the tribal tattoo. Yeah. If anyone knows who designed, who was the makeup designer on that movie, please let us know because I would love to talk to them about it. Yeah, but, must be able to find out that. Um, yeah, what, what, and, and 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 all of the, yeah, and, and and the other the other of key one is Blade. Right. This is this mm-hmm. interesting intersection with African American tattooing. Dennis Rodman and then the the tattoos that Wesley Snipes had put on for the Blade movie. Um, really brings this kind of tattooing into African-American culture as well. Mm -hmm. Huge, incredible moment. And it's interesting as well, like the cultural significance of tribal in the 90s. Once again, we are going into Tom's social, sociocultural corner. Um, You look at like the cultural movements that emerged within the, in the, not the 60s, the 90s, um, that emerged in the 90s. And you have stuff like grunge, new metal, tribal tattooing you have the kind of cutesy disney stuff the looney tunes stuff that's coming becoming popular as well and what i think a, a different lens to look at this is 
terms of you know it is really the the full-throated birth of neoliberalism in the 90s you have essentially you're living in francis fukuyama end of history like we we've <laughs> solved all the problems everything's yeah. fine just consume live your life blah 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 and it's like you have this kind of cultural malaise set in of the kind of staidness of society like we've solved all the world's problems there's no more wars and just go to work make products consume products and culturally you have stuff like grunge and new metal and like particularly the kind of the mainstream growth of hip-hop you have this undercurrent of a kind of dissatisfaction with modernity and modern life um so you know you have new metal expressing the kind of rural american angst that really captures a lot of people in stuff like early corn albums and other stuff like deftones i don't care if deftones don't call themselves a new metal band they're a new metal band whatever <laughs> but i think this also kind of plays into the growth of tribal tattooing is that you know if you look at something like you know edward bernays conception of teenagers and youth and then you have someone like thomas frank's conquest of cool and the commercialization of counterculture in the same way that new metal and grunge ver- and commercial 90s hip-hop that was in the mainstream became very capitalized on quite quickly. You have tribal tattooing be- becoming the visual expression then of this kind of, oh, the Bernays conception of like the consumer tribe is like, oh, well, we're different than everyone. Yeah. But I, and I think, and this, I've written about this, that that does get, particularly tattooing gets overdetermined though, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of writers, soci- sociologists in the nineties, and one of, this was one of the things that made me become a tattoo historian because I was reading this stuff. I went to university in 1998. I did a, um, I did a master's degree in 2002, which was about, the sociology of the body, a lot of interest in in corporeality and late nineties, early two thousands sociology and, and and the humanities. It's, it gets called the corporeal turn, right? Well, all of a sudden, everyone's paying attention to the body. It's a it's a really important moment for performance art. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, we're de- dealing with the HIV/AIDS pandemic at the time. All, all this stuff. Anyway, but w- w- a lot of sociologists who are writing about tattooing, they read every black work tattoo as an appropriative attempt to achieve something primitive and authentic mm-hmm. and failing right and um as i wrote about in my article about the modern primitives the book it, the article is called the myth of the modern primitive um is that i don't think that adequately describes what's happening at all right because there there are definitely um there's definitely a kind of ideological strain of people doing that i mean like mm-hmm. robbie williams for example getting <laughs> Maury S tattooing, you know, uh, people that are, are more actively kind of, le- or, or Angelina Jolie, you know, all these celebrities that are actively leaning into the kind of the narratives of, of quote unquote tribal tattooing in its mm-hmm. in its non Western sense. Um, Mushafar's part of that story, um, although I think I do accept uh, I was probably a bit harsh on him in that <laughs> article. Um, no, I was. I think now I understand more about him um, with the hindsight of like. T- 10 or 12 years more research and thinking about it I think mm-hmm. I, I was a bit over over harsh on him um, nevertheless I think that that account of mid 90s tribal f- misses out the fact that it's a lot of it is coming from 
people like Ed Hardy and Leo Zulueta and Cliff Raven uh, who think it's cool mm-hmm. and who think and and who don't see it as something atavistic or backward, but who see it as a kind of either as a kind of re resetting of a kind of visual vernacular, right? If if you kind of take that account of what Hardy's saying in that first intro to new tribalism where he's saying this this kind of tattooing has always been around everywhere graphically speaking or if you take the kind of cliff raven take on it which is a bit more ideologically inflected but is still thinking about its place in the modern world or if you take what leo's doing and going here's this these amazing designs from history i'm gonna use them as the basis for a whole new design language it's difficult to it's difficult to reduce that as sociologists do to this is just people who don't like the modern world. Although I, I agree that with you that that is a huge part of it. Well, I, I think less so that like the uh, the anti-modernity thing is the main influence. I think really it's just that it's like so visually distinctive from tattooing that came before. That's what that's what appealed in the nineties. That's right, and, and and we see that just historically anyway with tattooing and with all kinds of fashion things and this is the story that i was alluding to at the beginning as things become you know uh, change over time things people don't want the thing that came before them right because it's it's out of date if it takes a decade or a decade and a half for something to become vintage right but if it's five years old it's unfashionable if it's 50 years old, i i spoke to so um, a really interesting figure in this story for the uk is um alex binney who was at art school in the 80s who read um, Modern Primitives, um, who was tapped into this scene, who ended up going out to California and getting tattooed by Leo and, and basically coming back and bringing black work. I'm going to massively simplifying this story, but bringing, <laughs> black, bringing black work back to the UK. Um, but he said, you know, he started out doing all these incredible big graphic post Leo Zulueta back pieces and, and, and armbands and stuff. And then by the time I was really starting to get tattooed a decade later, right, in the early 2000s, that was the stuff I didn't want to get because it was it was diluted. It was watered mm. down. It had become the kind of, you know, as that New York Times article says, the meatheady builder tattoo. And we've seen that with, with, with fashion. We've seen that mm. with architecture. We've seen it with interior design. You see it with tattooing, you know, what the the cutting edge stuff and we talked about this when we talked about russian prison tattooing the russian prison tattoo style when that 2007 fuel set of fuel books came out was super super cutting edge for ages and edgy and now it's on like pop stars and not cool and a bit a bit lame and, and cliched and that is the that's the rhythm that 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 that, that tribal tattooing took you know as the i sent you that photo which I hope you can put on Instagram of, that I took of my friend Ryochi from Japan, who, again, after reading Modern Primitives, made a fucking pilgrimage in the early 90s to California to get tattooed by Leo and has one of the greatest tattoos in I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. A full tribal sleeve, neo-tribal sleeve from Leo that when he when Ryochi closes his elbow to move his arm like to sort of you know flex his bicep if you like to move his arm up the design stays contiguous like it connects (laughs) itself like it's absolutely mind-blowing yeah it's so good and when you see how we got from that to what the 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 version that I was seeing you know done on, on on the builders that were working around the corner from my school in the in the late 90s is just astonishing and it's 
it's I think as well because obviously we're coming to the close. I want to talk about like the current cultural moment that we're having right now. And I right, this this rebirth. And I kind of have a general theory about where like not just in terms of tattooing but other aspects of culture in terms of fashion um social culture in terms of socializing but i think part like there's a couple of reasons for what people are now calling neo-tribal some people are calling cyber sigilism because of like they're applying thomas frank's ideas of like social tribes to the digital age we all exist online that sort of thing but it's also i think part of it is being fueled by because obviously a lot of the people that are getting it are, you know, they're cool, they're hip. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they would have been called hipsters. And when you think about that moment when like that term had its most cultural cultural cachet 10 to 15 years ago of hipsters, the tattoos they were getting were the Russian prison stuff, but also they were getting like very, very colorful traditional stuff. They were getting, you know, anchors, lighthouses, swallows. It became like a joke pretty much that like, Oh, you have like a very deep cut T-shirt and you have like nautical tattoos, but you've never spent time on a ship or whatever. And I think part of the reason alongside the cultural reappraisal of stuff from the 2000s, why tribal has come back is, I think, in part a reaction to the prevalence of that sort of tattooing in the 2010s. Yeah. That like we have exhausted the resource material for a lot of american traditional stuff and those and to someone who's 21 like the people who have those tattoos are in their early 30s they're gauche they're uncool they're not hip anymore whereas what are you going to get you're going to get like fine line tribal stuff on your hands or on your back and there's a there's an incredible artist in germany in berlin part of the reason why uh this stuff is also called berlin tribal is that like it's very prominent in like the techno scene in the queer scene in well, Berlin. This is also again, funnily enough, one of the things that comes up in that New York New York Times article. It mentions Berlin as a real locus for this stuff, anyway. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm gonna. I just want to find that artist. Uh, I think it's a G fans or some. It's something like that. But I think that's a big reason. Is like people who are like 21 or like in their early 20s are looking at the fashion styles of the 2000s. They're looking at like the tattoos of them as well and they're like those are actually really cool yeah grass uh graph sans graph sans yes yes, yeah, yes so, yes. so graph sans uh graph sans is quoted in that new york times article that i i cited earlier on mm-hmm. yeah and like you and because it's like it, it's mean looking as well like in retrospect a lot of the tattoos from the 2010s they're like kind of cutesy and like a little bit like childish in some ways so like People are post-COVID, like, we're living in, you know, like, a mean, cruel world after COVID, so it's yeah. like, let's get mean, cruel tattoos. I think the difference is that people are getting them in much more visible places, on their hands, on their neck, on their face, that sort of thing. But I, yeah. think, it, I think it is super interesting in where it's leading to, because stylistically, it's changed so much. It's fine line, it's no longer solid black. Ironically, I was talking to an artist and they were saying the fact people are getting it in fine line is a blessing because when they want to cover it up, it'll be easy. <laughs> well, also, of course, black stuff is easiest, is easiest, easiest again, in inverted commas, to remove, right? So mm-hmm. there's also something there, which is funny. Um, I mean, it's worth, it was worth pointing out on this revival stuff um, that the other thing that I find super interesting here, and it's something that, again, uh, I'm not entirely qualified to talk about, and there are more... There, there are people who have written about this interestingly. Um, 
as um, one of the things that's been really interesting is uh, tattoo tourism, right? Particular mm-hmm. and, and tattoo revivalism. And again, we talked a bit about this with Maya, and there are revival movements um, uh, happening all across uh, the world where where young tattooists uh, and old tattooists even are reinvigorating, in some cases reinventing mm-hmm. um, uh, extinct or endangered tattoo traditions. And a lot of that is supported and supportable by by tourism, by mm. by by visitors to those cultures getting tattooed, uh, which is good uh, in many ways. But also comes again with this kind of slightly problematic chauvinistic account of of, of authenticity. Um, I've been asked in the past to do some TV stuff where you know go to a go to a tribal context, go to a, a traditional tattoo cultural context, and and get tattooed and I'm not interested in doing that because uh, of all the reasons I've alluded to today. And I, I've been really struck on that by how, so the, the the real kind of best example of that navigation and I don't know how complicated it is, is, is what's happened in New Zealand or is happening in New Zealand. Um, and again, uh, this is something that, that even artists, uh, Maori um, heritage artists in New Zealand disagree about, but there is a, has been a development in New Zealand, as people wanted to come and get tamoko, the traditional um, tattooing practice of, of, of Maori people, um, but weren't themselves of Maori heritage, there have there has been a kind of cultural movement to develop what's become known as um, kiritui, which means like skin art mm-hmm. in in in, uh, in 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 um, in New Zealand, but um, you know, and, and some some tattooers uh of both maori and non maori heritage have said you know we we can tattoo stuff that is in the design vernacular mm-hmm. of tamoko but but it's not tamoko it's it's yeah. this other thing um but that's been really controversial um like uh in fact on a on a really interesting website called artbody.co.nz um like uh they basically say um, tamoko is not kiritui and this modern word kiritui does not serve us well. It misleads us. It misleads people to think that a tattooed copy of a Maori design or a sort of moko or claims by a non-Maori that they know moko are authentic. Um, but that is again something that uh, upon which Maori artists themselves disagree. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not one to adjudicate on who has the better claim on that argument. But mm-hmm. it is, you know, as as people are seeking out these kind of design languages, but also seeking out the kind of, as you mentioned, the quote unquote authentic yeah. experiential versions of them. These are conversations we're going to have to keep having. I mean, mm-hmm. the the other flip side of this conversation that I see, and it's it's something that um, I know Aaron Dieterwolf on his Archaeology Inc. page has also addressed, is that that cultural appropriation story and the myth of it goes the other way as well. So you do see well-meaning indigenous activists from various cultural traditions around the world saying tattooing was stolen us stolen from us by white people and all tattooing is culturally appropriative the, the the phenomenon of tattooing is something that was stolen from our ancestors and of course that isn't true either mm-hmm. um because again as we talked about at length as i talk about in my book the idea that tattooing is has no presence in in the west is itself a product of colonial erasure mm-hmm. so it's a very very complicated thing i i, I want to sort of say 
to people who are listening who 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 are into this kind of stuff and some of it is very cool indeed and who want to get it like seek out the design histories of people like cliff raven leo Zulueta, you know the stuff that ed uh, had done the stuff that freddie corbin the stuff that lyle tuttle um as i said uh uh you know all of these like pioneers of the 70s were doing that is not straightforwardly lifted yeah candy everett like stuff that is not straightforwardly lifted or copied from from someone pair but it's instead something else yeah like it i think it's super interesting like tribal having a cultural resurgence but also like it, it, it's being created in this kind of newer style that has its own sensibilities um, I'm calling it now for anyone who's listened this far into the episode. Six months time, the neo-tribal thing will have faded away. Next big thing, Celtic knotwork. Get practicing your Celtic knotwork now. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank you all for listening to the show. Uh, as we said on the last episode, we are now fully independent. So this show and its continuation is directly supported by you, uh, our patrons. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram and find out about the competition, check us out Beneath Skin Pod. Link will be in the description of this episode. Um, Paul's talk on Fakir Mushafar will be out either later today or tomorrow as a companion piece to this episode if you want to learn more about the modern primitives movement. Um, but I also want to thank our £10 and above patrons, that is... Uh, Morpheus Ravenna, Chris Block, Shit Jesus, Kirsten Wright, Kathleen Burkhardt, James Schick, and Charlie Lightning. Um, if you enjoyed the show, uh, please leave us a review or share an episode with your friends. Uh, we're getting a lot of good buzz. We are now the best history podcast in the UK, the best independent podca- history podcast in the UK. And I want to say thank you for listening, and it's goodbye from me. Thank you very much for listening. Um... Yeah, don't get don't get a uh, a, a mocker on your face if you're not uh, Maury. Um.